Philadelphia lover, Rob Brown. I did not like it in Philadelphia, <laughs> and they did not like me in Philadelphia. Their goalie chased me down the ice one time. Ronnie and all you did off. was score, which was your job. It was my. It was the ninth goal of the game, though, so he was a little upset. Was that the game you went up 9-2 and won 10-8, 10-7? Yep. It was a playoff game. Normal playoff, but game back in the, the 80s, you know, 10-8. I've watched that video. You did nothing wrong. And he's never caught me. I, That's true. And I, can't, I can't beat many people in a race, but I could beat a goalie with all that goalie equipment. He's on. no longer the, the GM, obviously. Well, but he's, he shared a press box with us up there. Could, eventually, track you down. eventually, karma got him. It took 30 years. Eventually, <laughs> oh, karma got him. Hey, a special guest here at Studio 99, former equipment manager for your Edmonton Oilers, Lyle Sparky Kolchiski. Hey, Sparky, thanks for dropping by. It's great to see you. Hey, it's great to be here. Am I, am I ever excited to do this? <laughs> <laughs> we, could see, we could see how you're overflowing with excitement. You know, Studio 99 here is such a great collection of memorabilia. Obviously, much of it Wayne Gretzky theme. I mean, it's just an awesome collection of jerseys, score sheets, photographs. Uh, we, we're right behind us, next to our booth here, is the Gretzky blue jersey from his rookie season in the... Well, that's, I guess the NHL that's a great jersey. That is, that's quite a piece with all the tears in the arms that were sewn up. and uh, That is the centerpiece, I really feel, of this room. Well, it's funny. Sparky would be involved with all of the fixing of equipment. And we're looking, he and I, before we got on air, we're looking at the uh, thread in the orange. They use blue thread in the orange part of the, the sweater to sew it. You don't see that nowadays. You use whatever you had. That's <laughs> the way it was. And no one complained. No. If When they gave us a jersey, we were excited. That, hey, that's for those guys. They were they were so excited to have an Oilers jersey that they didn't care what was on the back as long as it said the Oilers on the front. Well, it must have been that interesting vibe, right? Because there, there would have been younger players on the team debuting in the NHL, but the team was as a whole was was debuting in the NHL. They, they were kids. They were kids, I tell you. And, you know, they were all single kids. One Christmas, they had no kids to bring to the Christmas party, so the boys had to go out and find kids to bring to the Christmas party. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many things that we could say on that, and we didn't. Let's talk about the difference between equipment now and equipment then. So we're looking at Gretzky's rookie jersey. That thing has got away. 10 pounds. And then when it got wet, throw on another five. Yeah, I mean, it's unbelievable that they played in that. Nowadays, I mean, they have these things that are just, it's almost like you're not wearing water and, uh, you know, the gloves are all uh, the fabrics nowadays that, you know, they're just walking around. Everything's just feather light on them. So how many jerseys did they have? Like, if they had... Back in those days... Yeah, was it, this was your one for the year on the road? One set of blues for the road, because in those days yep. you wore blue on the road, and you got a set of whites for home. And then when you got to the playoffs, we we're all excited. We got a new set of jerseys, oh. <laughs> and that's all there was. And nowadays uh, they switch them maybe every ten, you know, twelve games uh, with the third jerseys and special night jerseys. Um, I bet you, Dave uh, Langer and uh, Brad Harrison. I bet you they go through. <laughs> At least, uh, I'd, I'd like to say maybe 10, 12 sets a year. Right. Yeah, so a little bit different now. So that's why you had to sew that one up multiple you, yep. times. Held them all together. Well, and it, and well nowadays, too, it, it's funny. You see guys, they'll be on the ice for a goal against, and they'll two-hand their stick over the top of the net. 
and you know, there's a $300 stick broken. I can imagine back in your days if someone did that, they'd be taping that back together. Holy God. I can remember Slots just giving it to Kevin Lowe one night about breaking sticks. And Slots, Slots just cringed when a guy would break a stick for no reason. He saw another $24 going out the door. Well, in the player's mind, he had a reason. He was angry, right, Rob? Uh, yeah, no, I didn't because I knew that if I broke my stick, I'd be playing with a broken stick the next game. They, they weren't as liberal with sticks and equipment back then as they are now. No. No, I mean, nowadays, I mean, you, you see guys changing gloves between oh, yeah. periods. I, when I played, when I first started, like you had, you probably got three or four sticks a year, six at the most. When I was done, or at near the end of my career, my, they stopped building my sticks. I used to wear, use these Eastons, and so did Brendan Shanahan. So they stopped making them. So my trainer called the Detroit Red Wings trainer and said, hey, does Shanahan have any extras? Shanahan was using an aluminum stick per period. Every period he'd change, you get a brand new stick. So I was using his hand-me-downs in Chicago of the Miners for an entire year because he'd use them per period, whereas I would get four to six per year. Oh, I know. Like, it, it, it's changed the, the cost of sticks. And, and But the usage they get out of them, you know, is is a lot more than they got out of the uh, the wooden sticks uh, but uh yeah it, it it certainly has changed like a a stick budget has gone from uh you know maybe forty thousand dollars a year to uh, three hundred fifty thousand dollars a year and boom you know wow philadelphia is in town tonight obviously when, when you would have been with the team Two Stanley Cup Finals against the Flyers. You went in five and eighty-five, seven and eighty-seven. What do you remember about those series? And maybe too. I mean, we were talking about Bob and I were talking about Philadelphia as a sports city too. Philadelphia, I tell you, that Mike Keane is no good. <laughs> I played for him. I know what you're talking about. We were we were up three three one in the series, I believe. Then one day I noticed that Mike Keenan was taking the Stanley Cup into the Philly room and they were feeding off that. They're getting a boost and all of a sudden the series 3-2. And then I see him again next game. He's taking the Stanley Cup into their room. They're feeding off it. Boom, the series is 3-3. Now a seven game comes back to Edmonton. And in those days, they, there wasn't a guy that traveled with the Stanley Cup. Whosever charter was going first, that's where the Cup was going. <laughs> it's going to Edmonton. Hey, Spark, look after him. No problem. Get to Edmonton. It's right before the game. Game time, and I call up a couple of my buddies working in the rink, and I said, see this case here? Go put it in my... We called it the hole. It was a storeroom halfway around the rink. Boom, the Cup was gone. Keenan comes looking for the Cup, he gets on the NHL, where's the cup? And the NHL comes to me, Sparky, where's the cup? I said, I don't know, there was a circus in town here yesterday. <laughs> maybe the cup got put in with the circus stuff and maybe it's gone to Red Deer. If I was you guys, I'd be calling Red Deer. <laughs> so time goes by and then Slots calls me in the office and he goes, Spark, I know. And I go, I know you know, but he's not getting that cup. It's this. Slots looks at me and says, you know, I'm going to have to fire you, don't you? And I, keep, I go, well, that's what it takes. He goes, don't worry, I'm going to hire you back. <laughs> but anyways, so finally time runs out. They go for warm-up. The cup comes back, and I look at the NHL guy, and I said, hey, I made a couple calls. They brought it in from Red Deer. Here's the cup. <laughs> and that night, we hoisted the Stanley Cup. 
So, I mean, if you look back at it, Sparky won the Stanley Cup yeah, for the Edmonton Oilers. I agree. Oilers. And the city of Red Deer, how, how do we, we didn't know they're, how much they're you still contributed? Shunned. They're still shunned because of that. <laughs> thank, so, thank God for the circus. <laughs> yeah. so, so, speaking of the Stanley Cup, is there any times that the Stanley Cup was won by the Edmonton Oilers where the training staff would have to help fix any dents or dings or anything that may have happened well, in the our, celebrations? Our major situation was... <laughs> We got a call that, well, we didn't get a call. We we're looking at Stanley Cup's not here. Stanley Cup's not here. Well, who was the last guy to have it? Last guy to have it was Dave Semenko. We're about an hour away from the team pitcher. There's no Semenko. There's no Stanley Cup. And then finally, Barry Staff says, go wait at the back door. Semenko's coming. So I go to the back door. And here comes Semenko down those, remember those long stairs yeah, in the yeah, parking lot? Yeah. He's got the bowl in one hand and the base in the other. <laughs> <laughs> now we're about 50 minutes away from team pitching. So we made a call to Ford, uh, Freedom Ford, which uh, our owner, Mr. Pockland, at the time, he owned Freedom Ford. So we took it there to the Freedom Ford body shop. The boys did some banging. They did a little <laughs> bit of soldering. They did a little bit of this. And whatever you guys do, don't hoist it. Okay, fine. Put it back in my truck. Five to the rink. Boom. We make it in time. Set it down nicely. The boys line up. We have team picture. <laughs> it all worked out. Did you ever find out how it arrived in that condition? Uh, you know, sometimes it's better not to know just, things. Just no questions <laughs> asked. Don't ask, don't tell. Everybody's happy. Picture happened. So one of the things that you do nowadays, uh, you're, you're heavily involved in the Macaulay Community Rink. Yes, it's, a, it's an outdoor rink. Uh, we're right in the inner city on... Uh, we're on uh, 96th Street and 108th Avenue, uh, Kitty Corner, from Sacred Heart Church. And anything exciting happened there lately for you? Oh, geez, I tell you, we had a great one last Saturday. Uh, Jason Strudwick brought down his team, his uh, kids, uh, a novice team, novice one or whatever. Uh, back in my days, we called them mites. Anyways. Well, if, it, if it's Struds, is it probably novice seven or seven or eight or something along that line? <laughs> okay. So, uh, so anyways, and uh, Connor McDavid uh, showed up because uh, they had a little deal cooked up. So Connor uh, skated out on the ice with the photographer behind him wearing skates and skated up to this team. And they were just in awe that Connor McDavid was uh, out there skating with them on an outdoor rink. And... Uh, uh, he played with them for about an hour. Well, what a gentleman. Great with the kids, great with the parents. Signed up everything for anybody. Um, Connor reminds me of a young guy I knew 30 years ago that uh, had that much class. Would, would his number have been 99? Uh, 66 upside down. <laughs> Well, Sparky, that's got to be a, a, an interesting thing for you and, and, a, and a great thing for you is you spend so much time with the players and you probably, as much as we tell the stories about the Stanley Cup being broken and all that kind of stuff, you must have seen a lot of touching moments with inter interactions with fans uh, well, or young fans uh, and things like that. Well, not only that, but the guy's parents, you know, like Marty McSorley's dad, you know, and... Uh, you know, watching Wally Gretzky cry, you know, and because, you know, it, it, like the parents have put in so much work and been behind them and, and, you know, plus their siblings, you know, brothers and sisters that winning it was, was, was it was emotional. There, there was a, there's a lot of tears when a championship is won. 
you know, and tears of joy, you know, the sacrifices that, that people have made along the way to, uh, to win a Stanley Cup. And I was so, so fortunate that I was there. I got my name on the Stanley Cup five times. I got five rings. Mr. Sather just treated, you know, the training staff was part of the team. It, uh, whatever the, the players got, the trainers got. And, uh, and it, it was such a family atmosphere. It was unbelievable. I think, I think that's the, the word that I was thinking. When, when you're around people as often as you are, uh, there, there's the team, there's the trainers, there's the, the coaches. You become a family. Yeah, it, it does. You spend so much time together. Like, uh, you know, I, I, I spent more time with... Uh, uh, Barry Stafford and uh, Peter Miller and Kenny Lowe uh, with them than I do, uh, you know, uh, at home with the better half. <laughs> it was, it was kind of like I was married to these guys, and that wasn't that great of a marriage. <laughs> <laughs> what in in terms of your your work as an equipment manager? What's the worst in-game crisis you ever had to deal with? Does something stand out? Uh, the worst game crisis. Uh, well, what? We were chuckling before, but the night that the lights went out in Boston, we didn't know whether we are going to play. We didn't know, uh, are we playing? And guys came in. They wanted fresh equipment. They wanted uh, fresh undergarments. You know, they, they wanted to change things. Are we going out? Uh, boys, we got to hydrate. Uh, don't drink too much. We might be playing. Like, you know, hey, no, Lummer, get out of the beer. It's not over yet. You know, like... <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> like that was really stressful uh, on a training staff uh, the the nights that the lights went out in Boston. So for for a trainer and being around hockey forever, trainers have the toughest job because you back when we used to you'd fly and you land at two o'clock in the morning, you'd be going home to bed. The trainers would be going to the arena to unpack all the stuff, and then they'd get to. The, done at 3, 4 in the morning, a lot of the times they would sleep at the arena because the guys would be coming in at 8 o'clock the next morning. Sometimes, so, like in Detroit, it was a lot safer to stay at the arena than try and go That out. is true. That is a good point. You do not want to walk outside the rink in Detroit. We knew that. We learned that very quickly. But So that's the tough part. Best part of being a trainer in the National Hockey League. I, I think, and, and, and I just, I just, I'll touch back on it, is being part of a, a great big family where, where uh, you know, you, uh, you celebrate together. If something happens on the team, there's a tragedy, you grieve together. Uh, that, that was the, the part about the game uh, that it was there. I always took it for granted, but now that I'm not in the game, I tell you, some mornings I didn't want to see any one of those guys. <laughs> And now I'd I die to see 20 guys in the morning coming in, some complaining, some are happy, <laughs> some still don't know where they are. <laughs> they didn't know where they were then either. Though The one thing I've noticed too is you, you might not see a player for 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 years or another trainer, yet when you run into them, it's almost as though the conversation that stopped 25 years ago, you just start that same conversation 25 years later. It's, it, it's like seeing your brother again. Hey, hey, how's it going? What are you up to? No kidding. You don't have to lie to me. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Sparky, it, it's great to catch up with you. Thanks for joining us here in Studio 99. You did, did such great work for the Oilers, and uh, it's great to see you at the rink. Hope you enjoy the game. Uh, Going to watch our boy Hitch bring home another two points, and... Uh, all I can say is go Oilers, go. That is.